0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. Have you ever had to make a difficult decision? Well, how did you make it? In our text this week, we see the disciples face the difficult decision of choosing a suitable replacement for Judas. How did they make their decision? And what can we learn from their example? With that, let's turn over to Pastor Nate with part two of his Acts series, Difficult Decisions. Awesome. We're in a second week of a uh, study in the book of Acts. And as I said, we're walking through it verse by verse. This is called exegetical studying or exegetical preaching. And so uh, due to the fact that we're walking through this book and kind of taking each piece as it comes, uh, we run into some things that uh, perhaps we might otherwise avoid. And I don't know if many of you were paying attention as I was reading, but there's some some odd stuff in here. Uh, We have the, the, the death of Judas described, and then the need to replace him, as there are now only 11 out of 12 disciples. Now, be completely honest with you, if I was choosing my text this morning, there are some other things that I think are way more interesting that I'd love to cover. But since we're walking through this verse by verse, I'm excited to just sort of see what we can uncover here in our text today because I believe that all of God's word is inspired and there's, there's some great stuff in here for us to to, to grab a hold of. Really, the, the theme of today's conversation is really around decisions. The disciples have a big, difficult decision in front of them. They've only got 11 apostles. They're supposed to have 12 and they're going to pick another one. And I don't know, but you, how many of you have a big decision to make coming up? Maybe a few of you. Okay. If not, upcoming you will have some major decisions to make and as we turn to the scriptures we're going to see how the disciples made their uh, decision and one of the questions that we have to ask as we look at it is this are we are we reading this in the book of acts as something that is descriptive or prescriptive here's what i mean the book of acts is a history document it's telling us what happened in the early church the question is are we supposed to do everything they did Because that's an important question to to answer And so as we walk through the book of Acts We're going to keep asking this question Is this descriptive or prescriptive? For example If you go to the Old Testament We're all really told to to pursue the heart of David Who was a worshiper, a lover of God But uh, David also had many, many wives And I don't think anybody would say that that's prescriptive Like we're not supposed to do that And so as we're reading the Bible There are certain things that are descriptive They're telling us this is what happened This guy killed that guy. It's not saying you should do that. It's just describing what happened. And then there's prescriptive where it's like, this is what you should do at all times and in all places. So we've got these these two things to consider. For example, in our text today, we see that the disciples, they get down, they got two candidates for the role. And it says that they cast lots. That sounds like a really biblical thing, but casting lots is essentially, the modern equivalent of casting lots would be drawing straws. Flipping a coin, we do this right at the beginning of a sports game, like who's going to get home field advantage? We flip a coin. Another way to think of it, I got a little illustration here, would be this, right? Dice. It's like should I take this job or that? Okay, so if odd or even. If it's odd, I'm going this way. If it's even, I'm going to take that job, and we roll the dice. It's even, right? So this is this is essentially what they're doing as they're making this critical decision. And we have to ask ourselves the question: Is that how we're supposed to make decisions? Should I marry her or not? How many kids are we supposed to have? Six! Actually no, no, it was four. Uh, My wife and I actually did roll a four and and we have four blessings. Uh, Some days it's like, man, uh, that's a lot. But anyway, is is this how we make our decisions? Um, Today we're gonna try to answer that question like what do we do with this text? What do we do with it? And we're gonna talk about how we make decisions. And so. What I want to do is just kind of back up, and we're going to walk through these verses uh, one at a time. And we're going to kind of lay the foundation for what's going on and some of the history. And then at the end, we're going to get real practical about how we make decisions. And if you are a person who has to make decisions, then some of what we're going to talk about may may be helpful for you. So let's, let's go back to the beginning of our text. We'll pick it up in verse 12. It says this. They returned to Jerusalem. Last week, we learned Jesus was on the Mount Olivet with his disciples... And he says to them, you're going to go into all the world. All of it. You're going, to take, you're going to be my witnesses in all the world. But before you do that, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And I want you to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. So that's exactly what they do. They return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Sabbath day's journey. You may not know this, but uh, God gave commands concerning the Sabbath to the nation of Israel. And uh, one of the things, uh, the seventh day, the Sabbath day, was a day of rest. And God did not want his people going on long journeys, because that's not restful. Anybody ever traveled? Not restful at all. You end up fighting with your family. It's bad. And so he says, basically, on a Sabbath day, you could only go 2,000 steps, paces. So roughly 1.2 kilometers, if you want to do the math, okay? 1.2 kilometers, that was the distance. And so they weren't far away. It was a short walk. And it says they came into Jerusalem. And it says, as they entered... The next verse for me. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. Now, this, many scholars believe, is the same upper room that Jesus and his disciples had shared the Last Supper in, which we just participated in. That he had spent time with his disciples in this upper room, and it says where they were staying. Now, we've already read that there are 120 people in this upper room, so this isn't like your attic of your house. It's a big space. Um, Some scholars believe it actually would have been part of the outer temple courts, there were large rooms for assembly. And it makes sense because um, in in the next chapter, we're going to see Peter step up and he's going to preach to over 3,000 people. Like, how do you get a crowd that big? Uh, This room was a significant size. There's 120 people basically living in this room. It's very, very large. Okay, it goes on to say this in the next verse. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas. Listing the disciples that were there. Specifically, the 11 disciples. Bartholomew, Matthew, who was a tax collector... James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon, the zealot. Okay? We got all kinds of people. And Judas, the son of James. I underline this because you may not know this, but Jesus had two disciples named Judas. Which really stinks if you're the other Judas. Right? Special conference. We have one of the disciples of Jesus, Judas. And everyone's like, boo! And he's like, no, I'm not that Judas. I'm Judas, son of James. Would have been awkward. But we have 11 disciples mentioned. These are 11 disciples individuals that Jesus handpicked himself. And what's incredible about this text is we know that these 11 were there, plus uh, there was 120 in total. And it says this in the next passage. It says, "These, all these with one accord. Now, I've often said that Hondas are the most biblical car because they were all in one accord. Uh, I know, it's lame. But of course, this means that they were in unity. And I've said this often that Unity and uniformity are not the same thing. Uniformity is when you try to make everything the same. Uniform. That's why they make you wear uniforms, so you all look the same. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about unity. There was something about this mixed and diverse group of people. Remember, we got fishermen, tax collectors, zealots. We got women. We got men that were likely old and young. They were rich and poor. There's this group of 120 all gathered together and all in Unity. That's a miracle in itself. And we know that they were in this room together for seven to ten days. You ever spent seven to ten days with anybody? Like, this is incredible. So they're in, there's this unity, okay? There's this unity. And the question is, like, what was it that unified all these people who were all these different backgrounds? And the answer is, Jesus was the thing and the person that unified them. The resurrected Jesus. They were following Jesus, loving Jesus, and it was the thing that brought them together. In our church family, we have all kinds of diverse views, different people, different backgrounds, different ages, different uh, different nationalities. All of it, and the thing that unifies us, the thing that brings us together, is Jesus. That's the thing that brings the church together. That's really important. And here's what they were doing: devoting themselves to what? When you pray, you are you are. Acting out this need and dependency upon God. i tell you something. When 120 people, and there's probably at least that many in this room, when 120 people all come together in unity, dependent on God, something happens. You with me? I mean, we can, we're here today, and we can come, and we can all sing, la, 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 and the something was read, and we can sing the song, and we can, we can hear the sermon, but something happens when people come with open hearts, loving Jesus, dependent on Him. And you can actually, as a group of people, you can actually create an environment and an atmosphere. Did you know this? You can create a good atmosphere or a bad. I know this because uh, some of you have been to Thanksgiving with your extended family. And you can invite a friend. You know, you got got a special somebody. You want them to meet your family. And they walk in and there's so much tension in the room because Uncle So-and-So is there and there's this fight going on. But nobody says anything, but you can feel the tension in the room. Anybody been there? (laughs) You can cut it with a knife. It's so thick. And at the same time, you can come into a locker room, you can come into a group of people that are united, that are, that are with each other, that are, that are open hearts, and you can feel it. It's like electricity. There's an atmosphere. And I just want to encourage you today that we, when we come together like we are today, we can create an atmosphere by being in unity, by loving Jesus, by calling out to him, by praying together and opening our hearts. It creates where someone walks in and sits down in this room and goes, okay, cool church, yeah, curtains, weird gym. Oh, something different here. They sense... An environment i love what he says next because this this we wouldn't know unless luke actually penned this for us which is really helpful it says together with the women right we have mary and martha who are friends of jesus and their brother lazarus probably all there we have mary magdalene probably there mary the mother of jesus i'm always fascinated by the fact that mary was one of jesus's followers like it's her son and she's there praying that she would receive the Holy Spirit, that he would send. Like, this is really cool. And it says, "Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I mentioned this in the first service. Uh, if you come from a, a Catholic background, you might be surprised to, to see this highlighted because uh, in, the Catholic, in the Catholic faith, they, they kind of, I guess they want to believe that, that Mary remained a virgin after Jesus, but in fact, she was married to Joseph and they had other children, Joseph, or Jesus' half-brothers. They turn up at different times in the Gospels. And uh, I think it's pretty cool that they're here. Like, that's, that's remarkable. Jesus' brothers were not followers of Jesus until after his resurrection. Like, they weren't part of his crew. And now they're in the upper room waiting for the promise. Um, their names, in case you were wondering, uh, Jesus's Jesus' brothers. So check this out. These are the kinds of things that jump out to me. Mary and Joseph, they have Jesus. J-name. Their next son, his name is James. And then there's Josie's. And then there's Jude. you see the theme? This is why my wife and I named all our kids with N's, because it's biblical. So you got Jesus, James, Josie, Jude, Simon. <laughs> and you gotta, you got to wonder if that didn't come up at the dinner table, right? Like, what's up with that? And can you imagine that these, Jesus' younger brothers, are now following and worshiping him? That's crazy. Like, what does that take? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Jesus' little brother? Like, how many times did they hear mom and dad go, oh, can't you just be a little more like Jesus? <laughs> what made you a bracelet It says, WWJD. You know, like that would just, as a younger brother, that would just drive me absolutely nuts. Uh, but they're there in the room having a little fun. But you know this is real, right? Family dynamics are real. So there they are. And then we continue. It says, in, in those days, Peter stood up. Now, I highlighted this because as we go in through the book of Acts, we're going to see Peter constantly stepping up and leading the way. The decisions are going to be made as a group. He's one of of the 12. But Peter is, is, is clearly a visible leader. He's the spokesperson and he steps up regularly to lead the group. And it says the company of persons in all was about 120. So we know that there's this mixed group of people. About 120. Peter steps up. They're all in unity. That's kind of the context. And here's what he says. Verse 16. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Now let me point out something to you. This is the first time we ever hear Peter quoting a Bible verse. Which is interesting, because Peter always had something to say. Do you know somebody who always says something? Don't look around the room. If you know somebody, Peter's the guy. He's like, but Jesus, hey, do this. He just always, we should do this. And he's the ba- like He's just always stepping up, always talking. But this time, he's going to read from the Scriptures. First time. I think we could all do that a little more, too. He says... "...which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus." Here's what Peter is saying to the disciples. Hey guys, Judas was our brother, he was our friend, he was part of this team, and he betrayed Jesus and he betrayed us. And we were all shocked by it. But here's, here's what Peter's saying to them. God was not shocked by this at all. He says, actually the scriptures tell us that this was going to happen and I think this is encouraging to me, because so many times in my life, I'm surprised by things that happen, and I'm like, ah, don't you know? And of course he knows. And it's actually encouraging to know that God already knows what's going to take place and has a plan in place. And that's what Peter, he's like, guys, I know this is confusing, but the scriptures foretell that this would happen for Judas was numbered, go to the next passage, he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So Jesus handpicked 12 disciples. 12 is a really important number in the Bible. 12 tribes, 12 gates in heaven, 12, 12, 12. You see it all through the Bible. So having 11 disciples just wasn't going to work. Peter recognizes this and says, we need to replace him. Then we have in in brackets here, if you go to the next passage, we have um, some information about Judas' death, which is kind of gruesome. And the fact that it's in brackets tells us that the translators who, who put the Bible in English for us I uh, believe that these next two verses, all this detail was actually stuff that Luke added, right? Because Luke is writing down what happened. So Luke added this. This is one, wasn't part of Peter's talk with the group, but he's adding this so that we would know what all those 120 knew because this was circulating. Here's what he says. Now this man, Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. So he purchased a field... With the money with which he betrayed Jesus. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. I did a bunch of searching on that to kind of see what that's all about. Doesn't really matter. Uh, (laughs) He hung himself and perhaps he hung there too long and it didn't go well. It became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field that was purchased is called in their own language, Akeldama—that that is field of blood. So Matthew's gospel actually gives us more detail. It tells us that Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, was so remorseful that he took the silver coins that he had been paid to, to, to lead them to Jesus and he took them back to the religious leaders who had, who had given it to him and he threw it back at them and said, I don't want this, you take it back. But they were so religious, and I mean that in the worst sense of the meaning, <laughs> they, would, they said, we can't put this blood money back into the offering, into the treasury, so they took Judas's silver coins and they bought a piece of land in his name that would become a graveyard where they would bury the dead. That's what they did with the money that he threw back at them. And and so, again, this is all stuff that they knew, that we don't, that they knew in the first century. And that's why he goes on to say this. He says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, and he's going to quote Psalm 69 right here, and I'll just put the references below for you. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. So the one who would betray the Messiah, his land would be desolate and no one would ever live in it. And he's like, look guys, this has been fulfilled. This graveyard has been purchased with his his money. So he's like, this is foretold in the scriptures. He continues to another um, passage in Psalm 109. And he says, and let another take his office. So he says, not only is this foretold, but someone else is going to take his place. This was also foretold. So we need to replace Judas. Here's, Here's how Peter suggests that they do so. He says, so one of the men, who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. He continues saying, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So, Peter applies wisdom. He says, listen, we need a replacement for Judas. Jesus wanted us to be witnesses of his life, his teaching, his ministry, and his death and resurrection. We need to find someone from within this group who has been present and faithful throughout all the three and a half years that Jesus has been with us. And they begin to examine all the other disciples. I don't know how many of you have watched The Chosen. But in The Chosen, there's like 12 disciples and a few women. And that's kind of like the circle of people that are following Jesus around. But in reality, Jesus sent out 70 disciples. So there were way more. And they're looking at this larger pool of disciples and they're trying to find two. uh, Or they're trying to find one to replace them. And they, they discover that there are two that meet the criteria. They put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. So they've now whittled it down to two potential candidates. And now they need to decide which one is going to become the 12th disciple. Guess what they do? Not this. Here's what they do. They prayed. As I thought about this, how often do we make major decisions in our life? About our relationships, our finances, our careers, our family. And we never stop to pray and seek the Lord's will. Maybe I'm the only one who feels a bit of guilt right now. Everyone's just quietly listening. But how often do we fail to pray? And it says they prayed. That's the next thing that they did. They prayed and here's what they said. They said, you Lord know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. They believed that God had already chosen somebody for the role. They just didn't know who it was. And so they're like, God, we know you have an answer, and we want uh, to know which it is. And then, oh, it says, to take his place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And then they finish with this it says, and then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So they've got two, they roll the dice. And Matthias is selected. Now, you might say, casting lots, they didn't have dice. And you're right, they didn't. How were these lots cast? There's a a number of ways historically that this might have happened. Uh, You've heard of drawing straws. Or sometimes they would take a bag or a pouch and they would put uh, stones in it. If you've seen Survivor, they still do this on Survivor. You know, if they can't make a decision, they put all these stones and one's a different color. And they all reach in and it's like, ah, I got the stone. And you're out. That kind of thing. So it's just like chance. Uh, These are the kinds of ways, and there is a biblical precedence for it. So if you go to the Old Testament, for example, uh, the priests, they would have to, on the Day of Atonement, they would have two goats. The wooden goat was going to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And the other goat, they would transfer the sins of the people on and send it out. And so you have one that dies and one that wanders in the wilderness. And how do you think they decided which goat was which? They cast lots. When the nation of Israel came into the land of Canaan and they conquered it all, they divided it into 12 tribal regions... But guess what they did to decide which group of people got which piece of land? They cast lots. So there's this precedence. Uh, in fact, in song, uh, Proverbs 16, it says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So there was this, this principle of casting lots that was helpful to know what the will of God was in certain particular situations. And so that's, that's the precedence for what we have in front of us. A couple key ideas, because you're all probably wondering, well... Are we supposed to do that? A couple key ideas. Here's the first one. The casting of lots that we see the apostles doing here, it was the last step in discerning and making their decision, not the first. Like I think most of us think it would be pretty awesome if you just like, should I take this job or that job? Flip a coin. It's the Lord's will. Wouldn't that be nice and easy? That's not what they did. That's not what they did. So it's the last step in the process, not the first. So even if you're going to practice this, don't start rolling the dice every day for whatever you're going to do. What shirt should I wear? Flip a coin. Don't do that. So it was the last step. Second thing that's really important is that for them, this casting of lots, whatever it was, was an act of dependence on God. They were like, you know, we've done everything we can to discern. We have two great candidates, and we're allowing you to make this final decision in this way. Um, here's one more thing to say before we talk of it practically. Um, from this point forward, because within a week, the Holy Spirit would come. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit would direct you and teach you. We do not see anyone casting lots ever again in the rest of the New Testament. So when Paul's trying to decide, should I go here or there? There's no lots. There's no, he's being led by the Holy Spirit. So, I would ask the question, should we be casting lots? Maybe not. Maybe so. I'll let you decide. But, um, the process that the disciples actually walked through to make their decision, which I'm going to share with you in about five minutes, That process would help so many of us because for most of us, we actually uh, make decisions in a lot of different ways. So here's a question, let's walk through it. How do you make your decisions? And I'm just going to list some of the ways that you and I might make our decisions and I'm going to show you that they're actually not that great. Here's the first one. Take the path of least resistance. Who likes that option? Come on, be honest, everyone does. It's like, hey, whatever's easiest, that's the decision I'm going to make, right? and that sounds really great and you can spiritualize it by saying the lord opened a door. And if you by opening a door what you mean is that god has led you that he's made a way where there is no way. Yes, god does that, but I'll tell you what, often god will actually ask you to take the path of most resistance. Jesus in the garden of gethsemane was like, if there's any way to take this cup like he was asked to do something and you and if you look at the life of Paul, like God will actually ask you to do some hard things. And so if, you're, if your decisions are being made by the path of least resistance, whatever door opens up you walk through, you're probably not going to be making great decisions all the time. You with me? I'm not offending anyone? Okay, let's move on to the next one. I will offend you eventually. Pursue what feels right. Do you pursue what feels right? In our, in our culture, this is, this is the way that we're taught to make decisions. Well, if it feels right, it is right. Can I tell you something? Chocolate cake for breakfast every day feels right. <laughs> Spending more money than I make feels right. Right? And so the, the problem with this feeling right, and I, God wants us to feel right sometimes, but the problem with this is like that's not your guide for making decisions. There has to be something else. Because if we do what feels right now, it may not feel right later. And that's the problem that we all we all recognize. So this is not a good way to make decisions, and yet we do it. Okay, here's another one. We go after what you want, or I could say this, we pursue our desires, our desires. Like, what do I want? And there's nothing wrong with pursuing your own desires, except that sometimes what you desire will actually take you out of the will of God. But sometimes when you pursue what you desire, it hurts your family, it hurts your friends, it hurts your future, it might hurt all kinds of things. So, your desires, while important, and should be weighed into decisions, should not be the source of your decision-making, do you see how that could be problematic? So, here's another one. Um, Here's how some people make decisions. They ask other people until they get an answer they like. I know none of you would do that, but I've known some people who just go around and they're like, hey, do you think I should do this? No. Do you think I should do this? "No." No. Do you think I should? No. Do you think I should do this? Yeah. First try. Yes. I'm doing it. Like, it's just... You just keep asking until you get the answer you want, and then you're like, yes, God has affirmed it for me. He's like, no, 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 no. So, this is, again, do you not see? These are ways that we make decisions all the time. It's not good. Here's, here, here's one more Ask for a sign. Ask for a sign. Lord, if I see three blue convertibles this week, I will marry him. That's how I'll know he's the right guy. And the problem with that is you're going to see two blue convertibles and one in a magazine and the rest of your marriage you're going to be like, what's it? Did this, ah. Anyway, it's easy and some people get caught in this like, I just need a prophecy. I need someone to tell me. I need someone to... I need. And the problem with this is is that we're looking for signs. We call it in the church world, if you've been around the church for a while, they call it putting out a fleece before the Lord. That's an allusion to Gideon. You can go read about it. But the point of the matter is, is like, it's easier to be like, God... I don't want to pray about it. I don't want to search the scriptures. I don't want to do the hard work on this thing. I don't want to get good advice and counsel. I just want to know your will. Woo, it's a sign. I rolled a three. I guess that means, you know, do you you hear what I'm saying? This is what we do. After service, uh, one gentleman came up to me and he's like, you missed one on the list. I said, what is he?" He says, I asked my wife. So that one's not in there. (laughs) I'm like, actually, that's good. I do that a lot too. Um, It's always, always a good idea. He He said, yeah, he said, when we got married... we we decided that I would make all the major decisions and she would make all the minor decisions. And then he said, the problem is we've never made a a major decision yet. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that's good. Anyway, you get the point. Uh, So let's just take a few minutes. Here's what I want to do. These are some of the ways that we make decisions. You with me? And they're not not actually that helpful. What I want to do is compare this with the example of the disciples. So let's just, again, this is descriptive. This is what they did. But I would make the argument today that if you did what they did, decisions would come out way better than the alternative. Here's what they do. Number one, they turn to the scriptures. They turn to the scriptures. Like, this should be the first place we go when we want to know what God's will is, is right here. And you may be wondering, you may say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about which school to go to, or whether I should date this person, or whether I should switch jobs, or move my family from here to there. No, it doesn't. But I'll tell you what the Bible does say, it, it pierces your heart and checks your motives. And as you're reading this book, the Holy Spirit will stir something in you and you'll be like, oh man, I didn't realize I was trying to make this decision which looked really good but it was for the wrong reason. And so when you open up the Word of God, it will actually reveal things that you didn't even know. There have been times in my life when I've opened up the Bible and I've been reading some random verse and all of a sudden like it's like something illuminates off the page. It's like, oh! And it's like God is speaking directly to me. And I 100% believe that God will speak through other people. He'll speak to prophecy. He'll have other people around you to encourage you and give you good counsel. But the number one way that you and I will hear from God is right here in my hands. And if you want to make great decisions, and if you want to live a life following the leading of the Lord, you just need to open this book and read it. Because if you don't know what's in here, even if you sense God speaking to you, you won't know if it's true. Because the Spirit will never lead you in a way that contradicts His word. So they turned to the scriptures. I love this passage in Psalm. It says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This book will illuminate the way if you read it. That's what Peter turned to when they had a big decision to make. He didn't roll the dice. He opened up the scriptures and that's where we should go first. Second thing he did, we'll get through these quick, they applied wisdom. You know, you might, you might uh, make a decision. You're trying to make a decision. You're, sense- you're trying to discern and uh, perhaps you open up the scriptures and you feel like, oh, God wants me to do this thing. The next thing you have to do is you have to apply wisdom. This might look like making a budget. God wants me to buy a boat and be a missionary and sail around the world. Great! Can you afford it? Can you put a plan in place so you have to apply wisdom? So many Christians want to skip this step, the step where you actually make a plan to do the thing God's showing you to do and I think that's that's problematic so you want to apply wisdom to the situation the third thing they did is they prayed and as I already said shouldn't that be the first thing we do like man I got this big decision to make God you know the answer I'm coming to you first so they did all this before they cast the lot so whether you believe you're going to cast a lot flip the coin or not I don't care if you do these three things first you're going to be in pretty good shape you with me? Way better than if you follow your feelings. Way better than if you follow your desires. Way better than if you ask everybody for their opinion and wait to get the right one. And then lastly, they they cast lots. Now, as I said, moving forward, we don't see this again. What we see is the disciples trusting in the leading of the Holy Spirit. But we'll talk a little more of that in the weeks ahead. I guess I'll close with this this thought. We're talking about big decisions. Maybe some of you have some big decisions coming up. Maybe this list would be helpful to you to think through. Like, hey, i got a decision to make. I'm going to walk through this. Scriptures, wisdom, prayer.
1: But there's one decision
0: that we shouldn't leave here without discussing, and it's the most important decision that you'll ever make, and it's this. The most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to follow Jesus. It doesn't say the most decision to make is to believe in Jesus. It's actually to follow Him. Jesus invited these people that were in the supper room waiting for the Spirit and he invited them to follow him. And they surrendered their lives, they surrendered their will, and they basically said, not my will, but yours be done. That's the invitation that he gives to us. And I don't know where you're at with this, but for so many people, we come to church and we sit in the pews and we hear about Jesus and we're kind of like sitting on a fence and we're not sure, like am I going to go all in or not? And you're trying to make that decision? It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And I want to encourage you today, if that's a decision that you're considering, to open up this book and start reading about who Jesus was, what he said, what he taught, what he did for you, how he died for you. And it will begin to soften your heart.
1: And then you can apply wisdom, you can begin to think, okay, what exactly am I
0: following? Because we're all following something. I'm following my own desires, I'm following my plan. It's like, well, hey, that's not really working out so great. Maybe it would make more sense for me to surrender to someone who actually knows the future, who actually loves me. And then lastly, I would encourage you to pray. You can pray today, you can pray at home, but you just say, God, show me who you are. Show me what you've done for me. Turn your life over to Him. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Would you pray with me? Lord, today in this place, as as we look at the example of the disciples, as they made their decision for Matthias. God, today many of us stand in the face of a decision, Lord we acknowledge that sometimes we, we turn to our pros and cons lists and opinions of our friends and our parents and everyone around us, we say, sorry Lord, we need to look to you, we need to ask for your guidance and wisdom, we need to open your scriptures and do the work.
1: So Lord, would you by your spirit lead us and
0: guide us? Would you illuminate our hearts so we would see you and see the way forward? May your word be a light to our path and a lamp unto our feet. We pray this today. And Everybody said, Amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world and we feel so blessed that we get to be part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.